Good morning. I am not Pastor Matt. I feel like I should say that, Matt, just in case, in case they get it confused, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I'm a mess. So, obviously, we're in Acts chapter 2. Matt was there last week. Um, I think you have one more week of being there. So, Matt wants us to spend some time in this portion of Acts 2 where the church is just doing some kind of formative things. And, and so we're going to spend time really thinking about what does it look like for us to be the church and um, as they're devoted to caring for one another and, and how that plays out. So that's what we're kind of talking about today. So um, I love the example of the first church where they, were, they weren't just about themselves and they uh, would have obviously, you know, it's, it's just obvious when you read the text that they were caring, they were selling their possessions and caring for each other, something that's very unusual for today. But that really is the story that you're hearing um, in that first part of Acts. And um, when you meet up with folks, you know, the, the temple, I, I've been to Israel. If you've ever been to Israel, the temple's huge. I mean, you see the temple. And um, everyone knew what was going on in the temple. And they met there, and they also met in homes. Um, so it says, day by day, verse 46, they were in the temple, so they had service in the temple and in their homes. The text says, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together. And then it goes on to chapter 3, where you see Peter and John, they're on the scene and they're in the temple. Matt did share one thing with me. He said, this is not common. This is not sure they understand. So I don't know if you're wondering if Matt is down with communism, but he wanted you to know that this is not communism, has nothing to do with communism. <clears throat> They still owned property, but they were bound and determined to use whatever they had for the betterment of one another. All the believers um, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Some folks say this is early communism, but this is clearly not the case. Matt wants you to know the giving was voluntary and not compelled by the government. Uh, number two, people still had personal possessions because they still met in their homes, and many other Christians still had um, owned homes. Acts 12, 12, 17, 5, and 20, 20, just in case you're wondering if I'm, you know, preaching communism. Um, Matt wants you to know that this church does not preach communism. And in Acts 5, 4, Peter told Ananias and Sapphira that they did not have any obligation to sell their property and give away the money. So in contrast to communist theory, the abolition of private property is not commanded or implied here. On the other hand, there's a voluntary generosity in sharing these possessions what, for the betterment of each other. 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 says this, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in them to God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that which is truly life. These people here are marked by love. They're marked by how they love each other. Um, you know, you have verses, obviously, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us, that while we're yet sinners, what Christ died for us. Um, it never seemed that, I've, um, you know, I've been to a lot of funerals in my day, uh, a lot. I was a pastor for, I don't know, some time. And, um, 
and I've been to a lot of funerals. It was one of the, it's sad to say, it was one of my first things. They're like, oh, you're on duty this week, so if there's a funeral, it's you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, someone died in our church. I have to be at this funeral, and I hated it. Hated it. I hated it. I didn't want to go to the coffin and look at the dead person. It was just a horrible experience for me growing up. Um, and then when I became a pastor, I was like, oh, I cannot stand this. But um, there were some amazing times you're with the family in such a crucial moment of their life, right? That you're like, ooh, this is, you know, you get to be there and care for them and love on them. And I love this quote. It says, you know, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You know, and so this is just, when, you die, when you die, when you're gone, you can't take any of these things with you. You know, you're, you know. Um, so typically you're going to have your, your, your child, maybe, you know, your spouse, she takes it, she sells it, does her own thing with it. Um, and George Beverly Shaw, the, the singer with the Billy Graham, he wrote, um, I'd Rather Have Jesus, which I don't know if you know that song, a great song. And it says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. And he says, man, um, he's realized that in his life that only what is done for Christ has any lasting value. Is that true of you? That the only thing that we have that has lasting value is that of Christ. This is what the first church is feeling and seems to understand. They are no longer the scared ones in the upper room. Their Savior is alive, and they have waited in the, um, they wait, they're waited in the upper room, and the power of the Holy Spirit has powerfully fell upon them. Um, and so we are like them. We aren't in the upper room any, anymore. Um, you know, if you were there, you were by yourself, I guess, but we're not in the upper room. And so, um, we now have this Lord and Savior and he's, uh, given us his spirit. If you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Romans 8, 1 through 11. So if that's true, the question for us today is how should we live? How should we live? the church members function. It should be a powerful force that this Benicia sees as his beloved people, the ones that he's died to secure, to save, to rescue, to call out of darkness. As you are living amongst them, it should be a powerful force. They're like, there's something different about how these people seem to be living. Verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I serve on the board, but um, before I was trapped on the board, before Matt got me on the board, I served on the missions team. And the missions team with, with Joan, who was leading that, <clears throat> was really, you know, we have your, you have your outreach, your world outreach, then you have your local outreach. And so we have things like um, I wrote it down because I don't remember. Um, the Christian Help Center in Vallejo, which takes care of, which we serve once a month. Um, in Vallejo, you have Foster the City that helps with foster care um, needs around the county, really around the state. Um, and it's an amazing opportunity for you to say, I'm going to live this out, and I'm going to live this out just, you know, within these organizations. And so we have this local outreach, and we kind of look at, like, as a church, what are we doing to help the church move the mission of leave Matt forward. <clears throat> and I got to serve on the team. Love, love, love it. I believe Matt asked me to preach because of the work that I do with 117, perhaps. Um, the 117 Project is um, we come alongside churches that are in hurting areas, and, <clears throat> and we help them just to do an outreach. So we do a camp in Vallejo, 
and we normally do the camp for four weeks, and we, you know, we serve that community there in Vallejo, and, and we do it in Richmond, and then you met Pastor Gabe, who we're going to be doing that in Oakland this year, serving there and serving the, the families that are there. Um, and then I, I, I make my money by, I'm the executive director for Safe Refuge, which really the goal is to help strengthen families that are in crisis. And so uh, we do that by, we have really homes around the state that, around the state, around Northern California that take in kids when their parents are going through a tough time. And so it's saying before they would get to the foster care system, can we, you know, help to strengthen that family? and to help secure that family. Because typically on average age, it takes two years for a family to go back um, once they've been involved in the system. And so now um, we're actually moving into sex trafficking as well. Um, And it is exactly what it sounds like, kids who've been trafficked um, about that. And so we're dealing with that. And so we have a a group in Walnut Creek, I'll be there next week talking about that and what we're going to do to kind of start to say, how can we, as the church, look at something that's so ugly and so perverse, and how can we, how can we love on these families that have been, man, their world's been turned upside down, and, and truly, that's exactly what's happened. And I could take you to, it doesn't matter the economic status of the family, I could take you up to, you know, $2.3 million homes in Santa Rosa overlooking the valley, and you can meet a family there. I could take you into Oakland. Um, you can meet a family there. It's just, it's happened all over. And familial trafficking, which it means within the family unit, is on the rise. It's huge. It's ugly. And so I believe the church has to get involved in these issues. And before um, I left the, the pastorate, I was a pastor for, I don't know, I don't know how long. I didn't do the math there, but for a while, for, you know, almost 20 years. And so, um, and I wanted to, how can I help the church get involved in these very tangible things that would really compel a lost world to say, man, these Christians are doing it. These Christians are, they're in ugly situations bringing the gospel. And so that's what we're going to be doing, Safe Refuge, as we move kind of with um, the sex trafficking issues. And my wife and I and our kids, I would say, we also are a resource family, meaning we are um, a foster care family as well. And you guys have what I find to our kiddos over the years and met them. Um, and you may have what I would call a little God problem. You see the issues at hand. You've heard me say some things You're like, oh, man, I don't know how I can't handle that. You're right. You in yourself cannot handle it. But God within you, you can. And so the church needs to see it as, man, God has empowered his people to deal with the ugliness of life because there's nothing too great for our God. There isn't a sin our God cannot handle. But the question is, do you believe that? It's one of those things that I think you just need to think about. Do you really believe that God can handle whatever the sin is that causes you sometimes to get scared or like, oh, man, this is huge. I don't know about this. Um, I have some statistics that were from a 2014 survey. Um, I used to go to this organization I don't remember the name of it because I used to go to it. I don't go to it anymore, Matt, so I don't know the name now. Um, But, um, and they just have this thing on foster care kids, and so it says here, Alabama, you know, a great God-fearing state, you know. Um, The number of kids in 2014 that were waiting to be adopted was 1,027 kids. 
and there are 10,760 churches in the, that is Alabama that at that time were on the register. Um, New York, you're like, now that is a godless New York. If anything is godless besides California, it would be New York. <clears throat> and they have 5,463 kids waiting to be adopted. But there are 14,767 churches in that godless state. So now we're just saying, you know, just 14,000. Now, I don't know if those have 10 members, if they have 1,000 members. So there's a lot of people within those 14,000 churches for the issue of these 5,000 kids. Um, Texas. Let's just do good old Texas. We hear a lot about Texas. People moving to Texas for whatever reason they want to move there. I wouldn't want to move there. It's a horrible place. <clears throat> but there are 13,000 kids, 13,238 kids in 2014 waiting to be adopted. And there are 27,000 churches, 27,505 churches there. Utah. Well, there is 629 kids. They stick together a little bit more. But there are 2,500 churches. So what about California? Where are we on the list? We were at 14,000, highest 14,998 kids waiting to be adopted in 2014. But there are 22,798 churches. So the ugliness is there in the world. I mean, you could name the thing and it's there. And you're like, oh, that's nasty. But God has made a way that his light can shine in the midst of that ugliness. Nevada may be the only place that has more kids waiting to be adopted in 2014. It's 2,059 kids. That's Nevada, y'all. I mean, Nevada is godless. I mean, that is a godless little place, right? Um, but there are 1,248 churches, so they would have to double up. You know, you would need at least two people in every church there to take a kid. And so God is, in his provision, he's, he's made a way for um, lost people to come to know him. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's through us, his church. He's seen fit to save you for a reason, a purpose that you, yes, you can look nice on a Sunday and come, you know, dress properly and like, oh, look at them. But God has saved you for much more than your, you know, beauty pageant on a Sunday. God has saved you so that he can make much out of your life. They're in their love, that you can make much out of him. The first church lived life with each other, and their love for each other was real and caused others to take notice. It was their building that they met in, which my, my wife loves beautification projects. She's going to be doing some stuff. Y'all have rope turning and doing some stuff around here. Um, and, you know, she loves that kind of stuff. But that's not what, you know... You could have a beautiful building. People are going to be like, well, I need to go to that church. It's such a beautiful building. Man, that church, that, you know, maybe, maybe some folks will, but I don't know. It's going to be because of how you interact with them day in and day out. That causes them to say, hmm, there's something about this Jesus. God has placed you in your homes, wherever you live, for a reason, a purpose. You might display his beauty, his power, his love as only you were designed to do. So the question is, are we doing that? 
the first church is really marked by how well they loved each other. The result of that is in verse 47. It says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I read you the list of people waiting to be adopted. What if there was no list because the church just said, we'll take care of that? Just say, what an amazing illustration that would be for a lost, dying world, for the church to say, I'll take care of what you think is worthless right now. And, you know, my wife and I will tell you, it's not always not easy, but I don't think the Christian life is meant to be an easy life. Because you're going against the, the, the culture of the day. Romans 12 tells you that. So you're going to have to do the things that are a little bit harder, a little bit more difficult. So the question is, is it worth it? I believe wholeheartedly that it's worth it. I can promise you that your life, you will have a better life because you are engaged with the things of God than if you are not. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May, the, may that be true of us. May we love in such a way where... Um, we find favor, but also the Lord will add to the number of those being saved. I love to say God has placed you here in beautiful Benicia. When we moved, we, we lived in, um, we actually lived in South Central Los Angeles. You know, we were in a real city. Um, and an interesting place to be at, you know. Um, the demographics was horrible, you know. And when we left, you know, I was born and raised in Ventura, California, which is like a little beach mecca, you know, I love it. And we, we moved to Florida, and we were doing some inner city work there. Then um, some things happened, and it was just my health-wise, I needed to be back in a more kind of temporal kind of climate. So we chose, you know, good old California again, and, and we moved to L.A. And I can tell you, man, it was like you didn't know what in the world was going to go on, you know. And I was, I'm partially deaf. So that's why I talk loud sometimes. I'm partially deaf. And so depending on if I had a surgery or not, depending on how good I hear or whatever. And I had the surgery, and I told Luna, I was like, what is all that noise at night? I'm having a heart. She's like, that's every night. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I was like, what? That's every night. Oh, man. You know? And I, I believe that's really what the Spirit of God does to you when you say, hmm, I want to be used by you. I think God does something to you that causes you to see what's happening in the world, and be aware of what's happening in the world. I was clueless until I had the surgery. I didn't hear anything at night. I just went, I laid myself down, and it was, it was glorious. The hood was amazing in my mind. It's quiet here. My wife's like, that is every night, those noises, every night. So God has placed you in your neighborhood. And I can tell you from just the little, the last year that I've done, with trafficked individuals, that it doesn't matter if they are in Oakland or whether they are in overlooking, you know, um, you know, the beautiful valley of Santa Rosa in, in, um, in Santa Rosa, it's there. So the ugliness, it doesn't have to be like, well, we don't live in Oakland. It's, we're not in, we're in Oakland. It's here in Benicia. Statistically, what's happening in our high schools should frighten us. But we serve a God who's able to handle those things. So the question really is, is God going to use his people? Because that seems to be kind of what he does. 
He uses his people. So is God going to use you? Maybe we go, well, probably that person over there. God probably is, let me go and encourage them to do the Lord's will. God is probably speaking to your heart. How will you engage with people? How will you love on people more? What an amazing opportunity we have (coughs) to engage with the things of the Lord that matter to him And we get to be engaged in his work. So I don't know about you, but for a long time, Sunday used to be, you know, um, I grew up, like I said, in church my entire life. I mean, my entire life I grew up in church. And I loved dressing up. I still like to, you know, dress up a little bit for church. I tell Matt, you know, I was like, Matt, you got to, you know, you're a little wrinkled when you come to church. Like, have you heard of an iron? I get all my clothes pressed. I get all my clothes all my shirts are pressed, bro. Like, maybe you should go there, you know? Maybe you should shop over here. You know, I'm, I'm a total church pagan in that way. And um, God is not concerned with how I look at church, you know, and my clothes are pressed or anything like that. He's much more concerned where my heart is and does it resemble his heart, right? And it's, it's easy for me to, I mean, that's one of the first things I think I told you is I should apologize. I'm so sorry, you know? Gave you a bill and, and you know, I was like, hey, here you go. But God is much more concerned with our hearts when it comes to how we're engaging with lost people that he's sent his son to die on the cross for. And so I look at, man, God has given you this amazing place that we get to live in, and God has placed, you know, people here, your neighbors. How are you engaging with them that they would see Christ in you? I would offer you this simple thing. All of you eat. Now, not all of you may eat well. But you all eat. You can invite people over for a meal. You can have a barbecue and have people. If you don't know how to cook, then, you know, bring it in. Tell, tell my wife and I, and we will cook for you. She's like, dear people. <coughs> um, and you can get to know people. And I promise you, when you get to know people, you will see the hurt and devastation in their life, because that's what sin does. It comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And as you're engaged in that process, you will be able to see how the Lord will spur you to, to work, to move, to be. So that we're going to take communion, um, which is what an amazing opportunity we get to, which we do every other week. Correct, Matt? We do that every, thank you so much. Man, Ann, give me some water. Crown's in heaven for that. Thank you. So let's pray, and then we'll um, take communion. Hopefully you guys have the elements with you. Father God, we come before you. Thank you for your grace that saved us, allowed us to be made in the image of your son, (coughs) that we would be able to live a life that is pleasing to you. We thank you for the fact that you would, um, while we're yet sinners, you would die for us, Lord, that you have made us whole, that we can come to you because Your son has already paid the price for us. And so, God, we ask that you would just enable us to live life in such a way that glorifies you, that caused people to see you in us, um, that we would be amazed by the work that you're doing in and through our lives. Um, God, that you would bring the right people to our hearts that we could love on, that we could serve, that by the power of your spirit, we would just do as you called us to be. So, God, I pray that you would help us just to be uh, your representatives that you would help us to love on people well, 
And we just thank you for the fact that you um, have promised, well, you've given us your spirit, that you haven't left us alone, but you've given us your spirit to guide and direct us. In your precious name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.